Nehemiah chapter four. Nehemiah chapter four. Let's start at verse 14. I'll fill in the context for you momentarily. Nehemiah chapter four, verse 14 says, and I looked and arose and I said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened that when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore the armor. And the leaders behind all, were behind all the house of Judah. And those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his, as his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. I want to I wanna focus on verse number 14 today, and I want to read it again. It says, And I looked and I arose, and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. I pray that you would speak to us, speak through me. Lord, let the people's ears be ready to receive. Lord, let their hearts be open today. Holy Spirit, I trust that you would breathe once again upon the sacred text and that you would make it become alive to us. Lord, we'll be ever careful today to give you all the glory for everything that happens in this room today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Turn around to somebody real quick as you are. Just tell them good morning. Hallelujah. So glad that you're in the house of the Lord this morning. You know, if you joined us last month, we were in a, in a tough, I mean, it was tough. Every week was tough as we were dealing with spiritual cardiology and the condition of our hearts. Man, we looked at repentance and sin and, and we looked at giving. We looked at all types of issues. And, but I believe that what we're about to endeavor into in, over the next few weeks is going to be a challenge to each and every single one of us. This morning, I've entitled this new series, Culture Vultures. Somebody say culture vultures. What is a vulture? A vulture is a bird, a, a scavenger bird, that specifically picks at dead flesh. It, it only shows up when things are not as they should be. They, they gather together at the end of a battle when there are corpses laying around. They show up when there's roadkill on the side of the road. And when a vulture has its way, there'll be nothing left but bones when it's all said and done. I believe that there are some things in our culture that the vultures have been unleashed on. I believe there are families, our marriages, our children, our churches, our relationships. And I believe that this morning, we're going to look at Scripture and we're going to understand how to beat the culture vultures away from our homes. Amen? So, listen, this morning, I've entitled this message, When Walls Fall. When Walls Fall. You know, walls serve a very specific purpose. 
There's debate right now, even in our own nation, on whether or not we should have a southern border wall. But the truth is, is that walls have a purpose. Um, in the Bible, there were cities like Jericho and Jerusalem and other places that were fortified cities. And these cities were walled cities. And the wall would go all the way around them. And these walls served a purpose. These walls were not just for decor. They weren't just to, to make things look beautiful. But the truth of the matter is, is that these walls served a twofold purpose. They were both offensive and defensive. See, walls serve two purposes. They serve purposes of keeping things in, and they also serve in keeping things out. I want you to know something this morning, that God has established some walls in our lives, some parameters, some boundaries, not so he can keep us from having fun or things of that nature, but rather to protect us because on the outside of the walls, there are some enemies that are lurking. And I believe that there are some parallels, some daunting parallels between Nehemiah's day and the church of Jesus Christ in the year of 2024. I believe there are some things that when we compare apples for apples, we can see some things that we can take, apply, and learn so that you and I can be better in our fight against fighting the vultures in our culture today. Hallelujah. Now, these walls are meant for unity, and they're also meant for safety. But let me ask a question this morning, and it's where I got the, uh, the title of my message today. What happens when walls fall? What happens when walls fall? Of all of those cities, one of those cities that was walled up was the city of Jerusalem, where the people of God were meant to live. The people of God, the Jews, God's chosen people, those who had received the promise, those who had received the law, those who had received the multiplicity of promises of the second coming Messiah and, and uh, uh, the, uh, the first coming of the Messiah and how they were, were prepped to receive him. And, and there were all of these precious promises in the Old Testament concerning the nation of Israel and how they would possess the land and how God would establish them. And, and in his instruction to them, they were to build a wall around the city. And that wall was to protect them from their adversaries. You see, from every corner around Jerusalem, you can throw a rock and hit one of their enemies. Uh, Syria, you've got Lebanon, you've got all of the other Arab nations today and in Bible days that were enemies to Jerusalem. They were literally surrounded on every side. But yet God told them, I want you to surround this city with walls I want you to be a holy people. I want you to be consecrated. And God gave them some commandments in his purview that he would give them to establish them that they might be different from the people on the outside of the walls. Is anybody tracking with me? You see, the laws that God gave Israel were to make them different than the people who were on the outside. I don't know about you. It may be a little old-fashioned. It is 2024, though. But I do still believe that there ought to be a difference between the people on the inside of God's house and people on the outside of God's house. 
I, I feel like God's people should still be a holy people. I feel like they should still be a consecrated people. I, I, I feel like the Bible's still true when he says, come out from among them, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does the temple of God have with Belial? The answer to that is none. God has still called his people to be holy people. So he gave them commandments. And one of those is this, you shall have no other gods before me. How many of you know that's still pretty valid commandment today? We may not have idols that we've carved with wood and stone, but we do have idols in our lives today. God says, my people shall be a holy people. You shall have no other gods before me. He says, you shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Man, man has six days like God worked in six days, but there was a day that God had set aside for his people that they should rest and worship and be refreshed. God said, I want you to honor the Sabbath to keep it holy. He said, you shall not steal. You shall not covet. You shall not bear false witness. Uh, you shall honor your father and your mother. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There were these ten moral laws that God gave his people. And he said, these commandments, they're going to be what you do as the people of God to live a holy life. And outside of the walls of Jerusalem were all types of other people. There were Gentiles, those who worshiped false gods. Those had erected bales and, and Ashtaroth poles and, and all other types of worship that were contrary to the teaching of the Lord our God. But you know, there came a point in Israel's life where God warned them. He said, if you turn your backs and you forsake the Lord, and you go after strange gods. He said, I will withdraw my hand from you. And I will allow your adversaries to come and take you from your place. They will destroy your walls. And you will live as a stranger in a land that you do not know. And can I tell you, God's warning to the children of Israel came to pass in the Old Testament. And what happened is Israel's armies came in and they destroyed the walls. They, they tore them down. Why? Because they chose to go a different way other than what God had prescribed for them, which was to live holy, which was to live consecrated. And, and because of that, the, the people of God became exposed. And what happens when the walls fall? Then they have no security their adversaries begin to move in. They begin to be taken advantage of. Their wives, their children, they were taken captive. Their homes were destroyed. They were displaced. And many of them began to live in a place and in such a way that God had not ordained for them to live in. It was tragic because these people had the promise of God over their life. But I want you to know something today. All promises from God are conditional. Many 
times we read in the scripture, God says, if you do this, then I will do that. If you tithe, I'll open the windows of heaven. If you repent, I'll forgive and heal your land. If you obey me, blessed in the city you'll be, blessed in the field, blessed in your storehouse, blessed in your basket, blessed will be the fruit of your womb, blessed will be the fruit of your kind. But then he says, but if you don't, cursed in the city, cursed in the field, cursed be your basket, cursed be your storehouse. The promises of God are yes and amen, but we have to understand that oftentimes God conditionally tells us, listen, if you allow this in your life, this is what What's going to happen? And you can find yourself being a part of the people of God, but being displaced and living beneath the privileges that you have. And it became terrible. Here's how terrible it was. Israel, who were God's holy people, became a laughingstock to the nations around them. For years, it was not pleasant. For years, they were enslaved. For years, they were forced into different areas. And for years, they were dispersed. And, and, but God had given a promise, you see. God had given them a promise that if they would return to the Lord, God would bring them back to the place. Aren't you glad, church, that when we get off track, when the purposes of God for our life seem like they're not coming to pass because of our own decisions, because of our own improprieties, because of those things, aren't you glad that God says, if you will just get back to the place you need to be and you'll reach out your hand to me, I will restore the years of the canker worm and the palmer worm. I'll restore the years the locusts have eaten and the mighty armies have destroyed. God says, if you just return to me, I'll bring you back, Israel, to the place that I've called you to. And I want you to know something today. No matter how far you may feel like you've gotten away, God is able to bring you back to that place if you just simply say, Lord, here I am. I need you. Israel came to that place. And God began to deal with a man by the name of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah chapter 4 finds its context in a historical narrative of Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of the first of Persia. He was moved by the news of Jerusalem's ruined walls and gates. And so Nehemiah sought permission that he might go to his homeland and to restore and revive the gates and walls of Jerusalem. I'm grateful that in the middle of Israel's destruction, there was one man named Nehemiah who had a vision and a burden in his heart that said, my heart breaks when I see the condition of my people. My heart breaks when I see the condition of our cities, 
When I look upon the fields and I realize that that used to be my brother's field, and when I look upon the place where my brother's house used to be and now it's in rubble, I, I look and I see that and I'm moved and I'm overwhelmed and I say, this is not good. And, and so I'm glad that God began to speak to a man that would say, let's rebuild this. You might be here this morning and you say, Pastor Brad, what does this have to do with us? in 2024. Well, I want to tell you this morning that I told you that there were parallels between Nehemiah's day and our day. The walls that were around Jerusalem, they were set up to keep the people of God protected and to keep their enemies at bay. They were to dwell inside the walls and to live for the Lord, and that God would be their, uh, he would be their avenger, he would be the one that would fight for them, he would be the one that would stay their enemies away. But somewhere, somehow, someplace, not overnight, they begin to allow their hearts to be turned away from the God of Israel. They begin to be enticed with idols. They begin to be enticed with sin. They begin to be enticed with doing things their own way, on their own accord. And the hand of God lifted off of them and allowed their enemies to come and to catch them by force. And I believe it's the same way for many of us today. I believe that God has called us to be holy people. We live in a nation called America that was founded on Judeo-godly principles. When our forefathers came here years ago, they established us on the truth of God's word. Our constitution, our laws are built upon morality and, and according to the scripture. And we were a nation that feared God. Right? There was a time in this country you couldn't even go out to eat somewhere on a Sunday because that day was reverenced. Coaches didn't allow, allow ball games. Schools didn't allow dance recitals and cheer things. They, they didn't. It was, it was kept holy. It was kept holy. There was a time in this nation where families went to church and they went to church together. There were times where they shared meals at the table together. Moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. And, and they shared the truths of God's word. There was an importance of raising our children and imparting truth to the next generation. There was a time in this nation where right was right and wrong was wrong. There was no confusion about marriage. Was it a man and a man or a woman or a woman? But it was thought of that marriage was for life and that two people married with the covenant between them and God and they stuck it out through thick and thin and, and like many of our grandparents and the generations that have gone before us that have been married 50 and 60 plus years it's a testimony to the tenacity of that generation who really believed in sticking it out and making it work that's how our nation used to be I want to give you a stark prophetic reality today. Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. 
The world that your grandparents lived in, it does not exist. I know we like to turn on the television and we like to watch Michael Landon, Little House on the Prairie. I know we like Leave it to Cleaver and, 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 and all of these old shows like I Love Lucy. And we think about how wholesome those days were. But listen, it doesn't matter how much we look in the rearview mirror, my friend. Those days don't exist anymore. There, the floodgates in this nation have been open and the culture vultures are literally sweeping across, picking at the carcasses of what used to be. Listen, we are in a place right now where we are ex experiencing the devastation of the looseness of morality in our nation. And we need some Nehemiahs who will be brokenhearted, who will look at the condition of our families, look at the condition of our homes, and say something must be done about this. It cannot be so. We cannot allow it to continue to die. Something must happen. Have to. It's important for us to realize this. When we look at our text, I, I want to show you some things that we pick out of here this morning. Nehemiah chapter 4. Turn over there in your Bible. I'm going to read to you some scriptures that are not in my notes, but they're in the first part of this chapter. Nehemiah chapter 4, I want to read verse 1 through 3. The Bible says, But it happened so that when Symbalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and was very indignant. He mocked the Jews, and he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria, and he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, notice this, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. We've got to acknowledge this morning, number one, we must acknowledge the devastation. When the walls came down, it was devastating. What does it mean? It means this morning that these people were weak, they were vulnerable, and they were exposed to their enemy. They were mocked. They were called feeble. They were told that even a little fox would cause their wall to fall down. The people of God were at a place where their enemies we're mocking them. I told you that there were parallels between Nehemiah's day and our day. And here's where I want to give them to you. Just like there was devastation in our day, there's also devastation in our day. The same ridicule that Nehemiah and his people experienced from the world, we see it today. Now, what I'm about to say is going to be a laughing, is going to be, is going to be a, a tough pill to swallow, but it's true. Stats don't lie. You know, if we're going to rebuild our nation, if we're going to rebuild our communities, if we're going to rebuild our families, we're going to do so with our eyes wide open. Not like an ostrich who buries his head in the sand and refuses to acknowledge what's going on around him. 
Let me tell you something. The church of Jesus Christ in America in 2024, to much people, is a laughing stock. When we stand against the secularists, when we stand against the Harvard and the Yale and the Princeton professors who are outright atheistic, which by the way are indoctrinating our students at a record rate. When the world looks at the church, what do they see? I can tell you what they see. They see this. They see the divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is in the world. Because our walls are broken down. Hello, somebody. They see that even they can't keep it together. When the world looks at our children today, they see that they memorize all of the song lyrics of Taylor Swift and all of the other uh, big people in the world today, but they can't quote 10 scriptures from their memory. They don't even know how to tell you what the books of the Bible are. And before you put all that on the church, it has a lot more to do with their parents. We got to acknowledge the devastation in our world. We preach a power we don't possess. Where are the miracles? Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? And I'm telling you, I'm standing here this morning like Nehemiah, and I'm saying, dear God, look at what it used to be. Look at what it, what, it, what it represented, our past, our history, our heritage. And I'm acknowledging today that there's devastation and something has to happen. In verse 7 and 8 of Nehemiah chapter 4, look at what, look at what it says. It says, now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdods heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to be closed. How many of you know we have some gaps we need to close? That they became angry. And all of them conspired to come together to attack Jerusalem, create confusion. But nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. And because of them, we set a night, or we set a watch against them day and night. We've got to acknowledge the devastation, but number two, we've got to identify the cause. The cause of these walls falling were because the people of God were unfaithful. They allowed all types of distractions into their lives. They called, caused the hand of God to be pulled back from them. Church, let me ask you a question today. How many distractions do we have in our homes? How many distractions do we have in our families? How many distractions do we have that are literally pulling for our attention, pulling for our affection, pulling for our resources? And, and oftentimes, the people who are supposed to love God the most have Him the least on their priority list. 
And yet we have the audacity to say, why are our kids acting like this? And why are things acting like that? I can tell you why. Because we've relocated the raising of our kids to electronic devices rather than godly men and women who are willing to teach the truth of God, not just in the church, but in their homes. We've got to identify the cause of this thing. Nehemiah chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but in verse 4 through verse 10, he tells us, I want to read it to you today. Look at this, such a promise. Verse 4 says, and so it was that when I heard these words that I sat down and wept, these are the words of Nehemiah, and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and I was praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those whom you love and observe your commandments, please let your ears be attentive and your eyes be open that you might hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night. For the children of Israel, your servants, and, the, the, and we confess the sins of the children of Israel, for we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you've commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you, that you commanded your servant Moses saying, look at this, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them through some, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens. Yet I will gather them from there and I will bring you to a place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Now these are your servants, your people, who have you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah is at a place of brokenness and he's weeping and he's fasting day and night and he's saying, Lord, I repent. I repent not just for my, my own house, but I repent for our nation. He's saying, Lord, would you please help us? Folks, we've got to identify the cause of what got us in this place. And oftentimes, it takes humility. It takes humility to say, Lord, I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I used to be. It takes humility. I want to give you all a good working definition of backsliding this morning. See, oftentimes we think to backslide, you got to sleep with your secretary, you got to cheat on your taxes, you got to beat your wife, you got to say curse words. But let me tell you something there's, something, there's something else about backsliding. Let me tell you how easy it is to backslide. This is how easy it is. It's for you to stop when God keeps moving. All you have to do is stop when God keeps moving. And folks, I want you to know something today. Many of us have said yes to the Lord, but we've stopped we want Jesus to be the Savior of our life, but not the Lord of it. Because we want to do what we want to do. Because we've climbed up on our fence. We've climbed up on our wall. And we saw that in Syria, they had Disneyland over there. 
They have nicer trucks in Jordan. They have all the shiny things. We see the beaches of Lebanon. And we start identifying with and wanting and desiring things that the Lord doesn't want us to have. So what happens is we begin to start compromising. Compromising. Stop praying in our homes. Stop having family devotionals. Stop having dinners together as a family. Stop coming to church together as a family. And what happens, we see the slow degradation of the family and we see these big wide gaps. And all of a sudden, our life looks like our southern border. Wear anything and just run through it. We've got to identify the cause. But listen, I don't want to leave you on a bad note this morning because there's hope today. There's hope today. Let me tell you why. Because those walls of Jerusalem, they were broken. But baby, they didn't stay that way. Somebody had enough tenacity in their heart to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to fight. Yes, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Here's point number three today. We've got to respond with action. We've got to respond with action. Look at verse number nine of Nehemiah chapter four. Nehemiah said, nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. And because of them, our, our enemies... We set watch against them day and night. Here's the thing, folks. If you want change, a lot of people say they want change, but they don't want to do anything to affect change. It's easy to gripe about the school system. It's easy to gripe about the government. It's easy to gripe about the lack of revival in the church. But listen, let me tell you something. If you're going to really do something... You're going to have to respond with action. And here's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah said, we began to pray and to call out to the Lord our God. Nehemiah first responded with prayer and repentance. So folks, this morning, you and I must pray, Lord, we need you. We need you. Secondly, he responded by rallying the people together. He rallied them together. You know why? Because Nehemiah understood there's power in unity. And there's power in numbers. You know, and oftentimes it only takes one person to start a reaction. If one person has enough courage to stand up and say, I'll be the one who sparks the change. I, I promise you that if you stand up, you won't always stand up by yourself. Nehemiah was able to rally the troops of God's people and say, listen, we need to do this thing. Folks, can I tell you that if we want to see the walls rebuilt around America, we want to see the walls rebuilt around our homes, around our churches, around our families, around our marriages, we got to return to prayer we got to return to spiritual discipline, like fasting, discipleship, and we got to return to unity. These are essential strategies for restoration. So Nehemiah initiated the rebuilding of this wall. And this is the verse that's been in my spirit for all of this week. 
as I've been studying, preparing for this moment. I want to draw your attention to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. Nehemiah says this. He said, and I looked. Put it up on the screen for me, guys. And I looked. And I arose. And I said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. But here's what I want you to see next. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. The fourth thing that I want to share with you today out of this passage is this. Number four, we must resolve to fight. The Bible says that as they built this wall, the workers had tools in one hand and spears in the other. I feel like that's an indication for us today to grab a hold of this, that it's not going to be easy. Don't you think for a moment that if you're going to charge hell with a water pistol and you're going to say, devil, not today, not tomorrow, not on my watch, you're not taking our families, our schools, our kids, our marriages, you're not taking any of that. Don't you think for one moment that the devil's going to prop his feet up and cross his arms and let you carry bricks without throwing something at you? He'll loose an assault against the people. But we must have a resolve to fight. I told you there's a parallel here. Nehemiah's day to our day. Let me give you another one. In Nehemiah's day, it was the men who were called to protect the city. And in our day, God has called the men to be the men of our homes, primary leaders of our churches. But because we're not doing what we need to do, our wives, our sons, and our daughters are left vulnerable because we'd rather play golf than pray. We'd, let, we'd rather fish than fast. We'd rather do our own things rather than be men of God. Hello, somebody. Men, I'm talking to you today. Where are the men on the prayer team? Where are the men on the worship team? Hello. Where are the men who will say, Pastor, I'll fight the devils in our church. Boy, it's so quiet you can hear a cricket. That just makes me preach harder. Because I come to spit in the devil's eye today. 
And I'm telling you, there has to be a call to authentic manhood. Nehemiah looked at the men and he said, men, you need to fight for your brethren, those who are weaker than you. God is looking for some strong men who are willing to charge hell and say, not on my watch. Men, let me tell you, it's tragic that society has demasculated men and they've resourced you down to a paycheck. But let me tell you something. God is looking for men who are willing to not just physically but spiritually fight for their families. You to be the first to go to church in the morning. You should be the first to write the tithe check. You should be the first to grab your kids and say, let's pray before bedtime. Come on, somebody. We got to resolve to fight for our people. We got to resolve to do that. We got to make up our minds. Hello, somebody. Nehemiah said, don't be afraid of them. Fight for your brethren. You know why? Because they're worth fighting for. We had to fight for those who are weaker than us. And then notice what he says. He says, you fight for your sons for your daughters. Men, if you don't fight for anybody else, fight for them. Fight for them. Do you know statistics tell us that children are more likely to come to church and give their life to Christ if their father leads the way? Statistically, 60% higher than if the mother leads them alone. Why? Because there's something about men. We gotta fight for our sons and our daughters. Listen, when this wall was collapsed, their sons and their daughters were vulnerable. They were slaves to the adversary. And let me tell you something, men, when we abandon our responsibility and we leave the raising of our children to TikTok and Instagram and PlayStation 5 and we just say, be seen and not heard and place them in a room somewhere. Listen, I'm not saying all of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but I'm saying when they replace the role of godly influence among moms and dads who love Jesus I'm telling you it causes the walls of our children's life to be vulnerable and we got to fight for them we got to fight for them moms, dads, some of these children live in your home some of them are even your grown children we got to fight for them we got to fight for them in prayer. We got to fight for them in fasting. We got to say, Lord, save our kids, save their soul. We ought to make up a resolve nobody goes to hell from our house. He said, Men, fight for your brethren, fight for your sons and daughters. And notice this He said, Fight for your wives. Fight for your wives. Fight for your wives. Men, let me tell you something. Our wives need us to fight. God didn't create them to carry all the burden. Their shoulders aren't broad enough. Thank God for women who have to do double duty and God bless them, but it's not God's creative design. It's not how it should be so. God, listen, the man is to be the covering, the protector of the wife and by virtue, protector of his children. And, and listen, our wives will be attacked if we don't protect them. Men, 
How are you praying for your wife? How are you praying for your kids? It's important. And I don't mean you just need to do it. I mean you need to do it with them. By example. But you've got to make up a resolve to fight. And then he says, and I'm closing. I'm closing. He said, fight for your homes. Your homes. Let me ask us a question today. Inside the walled city of Jerusalem, the homes of the people of God were to be a place of peace. It was to be a place of peace. Those Jews would celebrate the feasts in a keeping in accordance with the law and they would take the Passover lamb and they would take the matzah bread and they would remember the blood that was applied to the doorpost of the house and it provided peace when the death angel would pass over. They would remember the promises of God. But let me tell you something, when the wall was down, there was no peace. No peace. No peace. I wonder how many people in this room today have no peace in your home. Maybe it's because your wall's down. Maybe it's because your wall's down. Maybe you've got gaps in your wall. But I'm telling you this morning, the good news is you can rebuild it stone by stone. And God will help you do it. Because listen to me. Our families are worth it. Our sons and our daughters, they're worth it. Our homes, they're worth it. And God's looking for somebody today like Abraham in Genesis 15 when God and Abram made a covenant together. And Abraham split the animals in half and the Bible says he walked through those, those, um, those animals and the Lord passed through. The Bible said that when Abram was through, the vultures came down, descended upon the bodies, but Abram swatted the vultures away. You're not stealing my promise. You're not stealing my covenant. Somebody in this room today needs to swat these culture vultures away. And say, you're not having my family. You're not having my marriage. Devil, you're not having my children. You're not having the peace of our home. Today, we're making a resolve. Today, there's some Nehemiahs that are going to stand up in this room. And you're going to say, I'm not allowing the enemy to have it any longer. I want everybody to stand in this place.